we have arrived at the conclusion, if you will, of Revelation. We still have a few sermons to go, but we're in the last two chapters, and it's sort of this uh, where Christ is summing up the vision that he has given to John, and we are going to be in Revelation chapter 21 today, verses 1 through 8. And the name, uh, the title of this morning's message is entitled, All Things New. (coughs) Excuse me. I'd like to open up this morning uh, by reading those first eight verses, just to give us a little bit of a foundation before we begin, and then I'm going to break into it. But before I do that, let me... um, let me share something that, uh, that, is, that is near to me and dear to my heart that I, I wish more Christians would realize. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, and that it would affect how we converse about things of eternity. Um, the most common mistake that I hear or that I see people making with regards of their thoughts on eternity and heaven or the new earth are the accommodations. That, that's what I hear when people talk about heaven and earth. They talk about their, the, the accommodations that are going to be there. Uh, that's the first thing that's brought up. And the second thing that is brought up are sort of these, these experiences that we will no longer have in heaven that, are, that affect us very personally. So, for instance, no, no tears, no more mourning, no more sadness. And, and let me just pause for a moment. All those things are true. The accommodations that we will have in the new heaven and the new earth are splendid. They are wonderful. And it is very true, just as Crystal prayed earlier, that there will be no more tears. We're going to read that this morning. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more death. There will be no more loss or sickness or anything like that. But I want us to pause just for a minute. minute, That as individuals who are committed and are stirred for Christ, that the accommodations and our, how we are affected physically or emotionally are secondary. They are secondary to the massive blessing, the primary blessing, that is the new heaven and the earth, and that is Christ will be with us. Not in, a, not in some sort of uh, spiritual state, you know, like this Emmanuel state. So Christ was with us. You know, God Emmanuel, right, with us for a period of time. He dies on a cross, he ascends into heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit to be with us on his behalf. And so in a very real sense, he is with us. We'll talk about that. But when we, when we are in the new heaven and the new earth, the accommodations, anything we feel physically and spiritually, are going to take a back seat to the fact that Christ will be with us, will walk amongst us, will dwell, as the Scripture says, 
with us. Now, here's the thing, is that when we are in the new heavens and the earth, for those whose names are written in the book of life, for those who are redeemed, for those who are saved, when we arrive, if you will, that truth will stare us right in the face. It will stare us right in the face. The most beautiful scenery, the most wonderful emotions that come with not feeling a bum knee or pain or any or sadness or anything, those wonderful things will take such a back seat by the fact that we are looking Christ in the eye. And so we'll realize it then. You'll be forced to realize it. You will come face to face with that reality, if we can say that. But what my hope is, is that we would start talking in those terms right now. Is that my desire for myself and for my children, for my family, for my church, and for my friends who, are, who love Jesus, is that when they, think of etern- when they think of eternity, when they talk about eternity, when we converse about that, that the first thing that comes to our mind is not the accommodations, as wonderful as they might be. But it's the fact that we're going to be with Christ for all eternity. We're going to be with the guy who saved us, who allows us to be there in the first place. And I find that to be amazing. But the accommodations will be nice. You know, I mean, throughout my career, I can say that I've had the pleasure of staying in some pretty nice places, some nice accommodations, um, whether it be hotel rooms or cabins or bunkhouses while I've been on trips. And the, the most pleasurable thing about the whole thing is that I didn't have to pay for any of it. Rarely, anyway, did I have to pay for any of it. And I remember this one time, just to kind of make this point, is that I was upgraded on a trip. So I went there, I arrived, and my greatest fear, I'm just going to tell you, on a trip, I, I have nightmares about this, is that I will fly to a location for work. I will arrive at the hotel, and they will tell me, Sir, we have no room in the inn for you. That's my greatest fear. I know how Mary felt. All right? That's my fear. Well, on this trip, they said, Sir, we are sorry, but we have double booked, and we have no room for you. And I said, wait a minute. Hold up. I said, I have my confirmation. Keep that confirmation, folks. I had the confirmation. See, if Mary had had her confirmation... Okay, all right, would have changed everything, right, right, okay. Anyway, so I had the confirmation. I showed it to the lady, and she said, yes, yes, we see you, we see that you're okay. Well, we're just going to tell you the only room that we have available for you is the suite. I said, sweet. And I said, will I have to pay any more? I wouldn't really worry about it because I wasn't paying the bill. And they said, no, it's going to be, for, we're gonna, because it was our mess up, we're going to give it to you. And so they upgraded me to a suite. And so I get, in the, you know, I get on the elevator, and as you're going to the suite, I don't know if you've ever stayed in one, but angels sing as you go. Um, I mean, there's like this chorus singing, and so you arrive, and the, you step out of the elevator, and there are waiters there just waiting. They, that's not true. Anyway, you're walking. I go into the room, and when I open the door, I knew this was going to be good because it was in a specific spot in the hallway. You know when it's going to be a good room because it's like in a corner or something, so you get like that whole part of the hotel. And so I go in the room. And I walk in, and it's like two rooms 
Like there's a, there's a king-size bed in one room. There's a queen-size bed in the other room. There's a pull-out couch. I mean, there's like three or four couches in there. I walk into the bathroom, and I kid you not, we could have a whole football team in there. I mean, it was massive, all right? I was loving it. But there was a problem. Not with the accommodations, but who was there? It was just me. And I called my wife, and I said, you're not going to believe this room. Like, I can throw my clothes everywhere in this one room because I'm sleeping in the other. That would have still driven her nuts. I mean, everything would have, like, been in one corner, okay? But I called her, and I said, I said, this stinks. I really wish you were here. I don't even remember what city I was in. I don't remember the name of the hotel. I just remember the experience was clouded because my wife wasn't there. Because it mattered less about the accommodations, it mattered who was with me. And that's the way the new heavens and the new earth are. Is that, yes, we're going to get to share in all these accommodations. But in the end, if Christ isn't there, it's not heaven. And I dare say that for a true believer, for a true believer, that they would not have to mention the accommodations at all. And if you just tell me that Jesus would be there, I'm game. I am game. I remember when we stayed in, in Haiti. When we were in Haiti, we stayed in one room that was smaller than my son's bedroom. There were four bunk beds, and there were five guys, grown men, sleeping on these bunk beds in this room. There was no air conditioning, and it was Haiti, folks. All right, it's like 95 degrees with 150% humidity, okay? I mean, you just walk outside and you're like, you have to get another bath. But I would do it again in a heartbeat because it wasn't about the accommodations, it was about who I was with. I had such a great time with those guys as we were there serving the Lord. A great place with bad company is not great at all. And so I introduced the final two chapters this way because I don't want us to fall into the trap that encourages us to focus so much on a place there where we ignore the company that we will keep. There's a reason why God mentions the, 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 the accommodations. There's a reason why God mentions the physical things that are going to take place, the emotional things that will be absent and that will be present. And those things are important. They are crucial. But again, they are secondary to who we will be with. So let's read this passage. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words that are trustworthy and true. (coughs) And I pray that they will be planted deeply, seated deeply within us, that we will be reminded of this as we think about eternity, as we come face to face with sin in our lives, brokenness in this world, persecution and trespasses against us, Lord, I hope that we would be reminded that our home is not here in this world, but that we were assigned a better place. We have been gifted a perfect place. And that's with Christ. We love you in some Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and just start breaking this down one by one. And the first thing I want to talk about is the bride and the city. The bride and the city. It says here in the first two verses, Then I saw, this is John, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I I just want to clarify just a few things real quick. The first is this. John, remember, this is a vision that John is experiencing here. And Christ is allowing him to have this vision. And he sees a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And it says, and the sea was no more. Okay. Now, some believe that the reason there is a new earth and a new heaven is because God is going to destroy the, our current accommodations. Okay, That they will cease to exist, and God will create, recreate, if you will, a new, unbroken, uh, unhindered heaven and earth. Now, I don't think that that's what's going on here. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think what is happening here, and many commentators agree with this, is that God is not going to, in fact, destroy what we have, but He is going to reconcile everything. He is going to make what is broken unbroken. Remember, when God created everything, He created them good. There was nothing wrong with them. There was nothing broken about it. It was as it was intended to be. And then sin is what marred all of creation. And so we have a broken earth that needs to be made new. Well, the same thing is true for us. Is that when we are, as as sinners, we are broken, we are fallen, there is corruptness in us. Well, when we are saved, the Bible says that we are made new. We are made new. Now, that does not mean that our, that, that like I, I, I look different because I was saved at an earlier age, but you know, if I were saved yesterday, 
Well, today it's not like I've been given a new body and a new, like I'm not new in that sense, but I have been given a new heart from a metaphorical spiritual sense because now the Holy Spirit is in me. And so in this case, it seems to me that what God is going to do is he's not going to destroy everything and create from, from, uh, from scratch, but that he is going to reconcile everything back to the way it was intended to be in the first place. Okay, So it's almost as if we are retreating back to creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and it says, and the sea was no more. Now, I do want to pause there just for a moment because there will be some differences. I do believe that on the new earth, you will see some differences. Um, There will be things that we take for granted that are actually there because of brokenness. All right. Now, I'm not going to try to expound on what that is, but I do think that there will be some physical differences in what we see. I don't necessarily believe, and again, many commentators agree with this, that the sea itself physically will be gone, that there will be no ocean, okay? Because remember, God created that. He created the sea, all right? And it was good. So there's not, it's not as if the sea is evil. But in Scripture, and I think I've shared this before, Oftentimes, the sea, the ocean, large body of waters that hide their depths were considered to be chaotic and had a, had a wickedness about it. Not innately, not because God created it wrongly, but just because of the behavior. Remember that many of the, that seafaring was a common uh, uh, occupation and fishing was a common occupation, and large waves and tumultuous weather on the sea was a major problem for many of these individuals. And so when they got out of there, there was a lot of fear that was involved, and there was, they were un, there was unknown quantities in the depths of those seas. These individuals didn't know how deep those seas were. They didn't know what was going to be coming out of them. Remember, Scripture talks about leviathans and things of that nature. So there was a lot of fear about the unknown, and the sea was that unknown quantity. So I believe what this is referring to is the fact that there will be no more chaos with regards to that sea. And I think that that can be extrapolated out to the new heavens and the new earth. That if you sit back and you survey your life and survey the culture around us, there's a lot of chaos around us. We're inundated by it all the time. There's just chaos all around us, you know, and you can make plans and then just everything falls through. I'm sure that Kristen didn't expect to be doing what she was going to be doing this morning or she's prepared for it, but I'm sure that she wouldn't say, I'm going to plan on that today. All of a sudden that happens, right? It's amazing how often, and even with like, for instance, our weather, meteorologists do the best job that they can with our weather, but you just don't ever know, right? We thought we were going to get a, an ice storm like 2003. It wasn't that bad. But a few weeks earlier, we thought we were going to get a drizzle of snow, and now we're under five or six inches, right? And so just chaos looms in a world that is unpredictable and chaotic. That is something that we will not have to endure in heaven. Heaven and the, the new earth and the new heavens, 
they will be predictable. They will be consistent because they are reflecting the character of a God who is consistent, who is trustworthy, who's not chaotic. There was none of this natural chaos before the fall because creation reflected its creator. But now creation is reflecting the brokenness of sin that has damaged it. And so there's chaos because that's what sin creates. In the new heaven and new earth, it will not be that way. And then we look at verse 2 here. And it says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now these first eight verses are actually an introduction to the accommodations that we will see in heaven. And if you have read any commentaries or stories about Revelation and about the new heavens and the new earth, when you read about this new Jerusalem and this new city, in a few chapters you're going to see it, it's going to be bejeweled, all right, all these really priceless jewels like diamonds and amethyst and all these things. And it's going to be this perfect cube, right? It's going to come out, I, I, for some reason, I don't know why, but whenever I used to read this, I thought of the Rubik's Cube coming out of heaven, like it was just coming down, Rubik's Cube coming down. But it wasn't like a, a chaotic Rubik's Cube, all the colors lined up, right? It just did my soul well. I can't stand a Rubik's Cube. Whenever I hold it in my hand, it's like I get all nervous and anxious, right? I need all the colors lined up, but I can't do it. And so, like, I want to throw it to one of those savant kids, like that you see on YouTube, like, fix this for me, right? Why can't you buy a Rubik's Cube that's not already perfect? I would buy it and just sit it on my desk, right? And it would be like the New Jerusalem right there on my desk. I was watching a YouTube video the other day. Somebody said, this is amazing. This kid had a Rubik's Cube in his hand. And all of a sudden, they blindfolded the kid. And he solved that Rubik's Cube in 28 seconds blindfolded. I can't do anything blindfolded. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. But this new Jerusalem, like a perfect cube, is going to be coming out of heaven. It says, coming down out of heaven from God. I think that's a key word there. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, dispensational premillennialists, you remember me talking about that last week, all right? Individuals who kind of have this timeline and read things very literal in Revelation believe that this is an actual city that is going to descend and land on the new earth, all right, and there's going to be this new city, Jerusalem. I think there's a little bit of a problem with that interpretation, and here's the problem with that, is that when, when Jesus, sharing this vision to John, reveals this new city as it coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, I think that negates all the times in the New Testament and in the Old Testament where the bride was, was a metaphor for the people of God. And therefore, I think that's what's going on. Now, I have a note, and I, I wrote this note in my Bible because Tom Schreiner had this in his commentary, and I thought this was a a fine description. I actually like it. So I'm going to critique what I said a few years ago about this. And a few years ago, I said, this city is not a city, like a city block landing down from heaven, right? It's not like Minecraft, okay? It's 
the people of God. That's what this new Jerusalem is, adorned for her husband, like a bride, right? And she's going to be decorated, and she's going to be perfect. She is going to be the vision of holiness that was intended, and she is going to reflect the beauty of God. Anybody wonder why she is so beautiful when we read those passages next week? It's because she is reflecting the beauty that is her creator, just like creation. There is nothing beautiful about the church if it's not for Christ. There's nothing wonderful about the new heavens and the new earth if not for Christ. We have to keep reminding ourselves so that we don't get caught up in the idolatry of physical accommodations and things like that. <coughs> Some people are so excited about living in this perfect cube city. And I'm like, folks, that's, it's not, that's not brick and mortar. That's you and I, which is even more of a cause to be excited. We are the ones that are going to be adorned. We are the ones that are going to be made beautiful because of Christ. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Folks, that gets me excited. That gets me excited. That tells me that Christ has a plan for me to, to, to make all things new, including myself, in the way that he originally intended. And I can't wait for that. And first and foremost, it's going to be my holiness, that I will be like Christ. Paul talks about us walking with Christ and being like Christ. And in this, on this, in this life that we are living, it is impossible for us to accomplish that because of this sin that we are faced with daily. But in heaven, in the new earth, there will be no more sin and we will be able to live that life as Christ has called us to live. And I can't wait. I can't imagine what that's going to look like except for reading the Gospels and reading how Christ lived and say, oh my gosh, that's going to be me. Not, not, not that I'm going to be Jesus. Don't take that out of context, okay? I just see somebody taking that out of context. What I mean is, is I'm going to be able to live like Christ lived. That's exciting. That's exciting. And see, the world promises that stuff. The, pr the world promises that you can have all this stuff right now. And they fail in their keeping their promise every moment. Every moment. Let's jump to the second point. The dwelling place of God. Verse 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be, them, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And let's just take this step by step. 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That is what God intended from the beginning. If we go back to creation, Adam and Eve walked with God. That was the intention all along. Yet sin separated us, so we couldn't dwell with God as He intended. But in the new heavens and the new earth, we once again will dwell with God because His dwelling place is with the people. And I, I think back of the Old Testament, and you th- have the tent of meeting, you have the tabernacle, or if you jump forward a little bit, you have the temple, and you have the Holy of Holies, right? Which was intended to be like, that's where God resides. And, I'll, and first of all, I'm like, how can you contain God, right? Like, I mean, God was kind of easing himself, e- easing him into this, this idea. But the truth is that God was never meant to be contained in this little room or a little box. God was intended to be dwelling with his people. I mean, that's fascinating. It's fascinating that we will get to dwell with God. And you say, but I thought God was spirit. Yes, God the Father is spirit, but God the Christ, Jesus, is in the flesh. Now, folks, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. But I'm just going to trust God's word when he says he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. There will be no distractions in heaven. You will not be distracted from the priority of worshiping Christ. And I love that. I'm just going to be, I am so easily distracted. And I would like to say that I don't like distractions, but I really do. I really do. Like if there's something I need to do, it's very easy for me to be distracted by something else. Okay? That kind of gets me, like I'll sit down to either, you know, like maybe start my sermon and then all of a sudden like Jackson will come in and he'll say, Dad, I need help with this video game. Sure, son, let me go up there and do it just for a minute. Daddy has to write that sermon, right? And then two hours later, right, <coughs> we've beat the game three times, right? And there's still not a sermon that has been written. It is easy to get distracted, even from wonderful things. There are no distractions in heaven and in the new earth. There are none. And folks, some of these distractions that we have here, that are distracting us from Christ, distracting us from worship, distracting us from dwelling, if you will, in in God's Word, they're not bad things. It's not a bad thing for me to go and help my son on a video game or go and listen to Lucas's new song that he's written or those things. Those are wonderful things, all right? But again, they are a distraction from, like, the main thing. There aren't going to be any distractions. It's all going to be wrapped around worship of the Lord. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them, be with them as their God. Now, let's just read this verse 4 here. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, 
I find that to be unrecognized. I don't, I don't even know how to begin to recognize what that will look like. Wipe away every tear from their eye. Now, I take that to mean that wiping away every tear of sadness and shame. Because you all know just as well as me that when you get a good belly laugh going or you're happy and tears start streaming, that's not a bad thing, right? One of my favorite things in the world is at night when we're having couch time and one of the boys ends up doing something silly or Crystal says one of her just absolutely out-of-the-box comments. She does it, folks. She really does it. And we're all just, we can't breathe. Glassy-eyed, tears coming out of our, I mean, even the dogs are rolling around on the floor. All right. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's just, it's a one, I take this to mean the tears that are going to be wiped away are those from sadness and shame and hurt and pain, that God's going to wipe those tears from our eyes. There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more death. You might say, well, what about fruits and vegetables? If you eat those, they're going to die. That's not what it's talking about, okay? It's not talking about that. It's talking about those loved ones that we have buried. We're not going to have to experience that anymore. We're not going to have to experience the pain of departing or their departure. It says, neither shall there be no mourning. That's unrecognizable. I don't even know what, I don't even know how to begin. From a very early age, we learn how to mourn. From a very early age. In fact, I dare say that mourning something or sadness for something is one of the earliest emotions that we have. It's one of the earliest emotions that we have. We have it even as babies. Moms and dads know this. Is that even as infants, babies get sad, right? Or get angry. Some of them get really angry. And some of them, if they have red hair, get really angry, right? They turn three shades of red. Red that hasn't even been created yet. All right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Jackson. Okay? I mean, it just, it just happens. It's one of the earliest emotions that we have. That's gone, that's gone. I can't imagine a, an existence where everything that I experience is that belly-grabbing laughter and joy and tears of, of happiness. I can't imagine that. But that's what it will be. No more crying. No more pain. And everyone in here is probably saying amen to that. I stubbed my toe on a metal canister this morning. I left it in the hallway, so it was my fault. And I hit my toe on there, and I've got some repentance to do. But that pain will not be anymore. <laughs> because the former things have passed away. And let me say this. The former things have passed away, and all of this is true, is because we are going to be dwelling with God. That's why. Because if God's not there, the tears are still there. If God's not there, the shame is still there. If God's not there, death, hurt, pain, all of that is still there. But God is there. Let's finish up. It is finished. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I believe that refers to everything that has come before and everything that's coming after. 
And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I love that. I love that idea. It's something that we should cherish. We should not take that for granted. The one who is the beginning and the end, the one who is in the Alpha Omega, calls you his son, calls you his daughter, calls you his child, calls you the bride of Christ. He is making all things new. All things new. And in verse 7, when it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, this is demonstrating that we're at a conclusion. So before, in Revelation, for the first 20 chapters, we kept kind of going back and forth, right? It, it, um, in fact, that, that, that term is called recursive. It's recursive. And so what that means is that, 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 God, that Christ was revealing to John a certain point in history that is going to take place, and then it was recursive. He goes back and reveals it in a different way, in a, in with, with different examples and different images, right? Well, we're done with the recursive trace of history, and now we're saying it's finished. It is done now. <coughs> that has happened. Now we're here. And so he says the one who conquers is going to experience everything that I'm getting ready to tell you, right? When it says the one who conquers, what that means is the one who endures, the one who perseveres. But there is a warning. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, and the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's a warning. The treasures that you are reading right now are for those whose names are written in the book of life. Those who have given their lives to Christ. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. But those who have not will not experience this joy. You won't get this. There's a passage in Matthew that talks about us being like the angels and never, never married, being not married in, or being given in marriage. And I think I've referred to this before, so forgive me. But that always bugged me. Because even before I was married, it bugged me the idea that I wouldn't be married in heaven. That I, you know, predicted that I would probably like my wife okay. And I'd probably like to want to hang out with her for eternity, right? And then I got married. And I was like, yeah, this is great. This is great. Can we do this forever? I mean, you all know exactly what I mean, right? And some of us are looking for genuinely and, and rightly looking forward to seeing our loved ones again. So that we can be with them for eternity. That's okay. It's okay. I, I know I say the main focus is Christ, but there are these other wonderful things that are going to happen that we should celebrate, right? But then Jesus says to those scribes and those Pharisees, listen, he said, we're going to be like angels. No marriage or given in marriage. And I'm like, wait a minute. I like being married to my wife. 
I really, really like that. I like that experience. She is my best friend. There's no one else I would rather hang out with than my wife. And then I heard somebody teach and preach on that passage in Matthew. Because the question was raised, what if I like my spouse? <laughs> can, 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 I like, can I get a different room or something like that? And here's what was said. This was what was shared. I believe it was John Piper that shared this. He said, we make a mistake in thinking that just because we will not be married in this earthly sense to our spouse, that somehow it is going to be our experience in heaven is going to be depreciated because of that. That there's, there's going to be something wrong or broken in heaven. And here's the way he described it. And I love this. And I love it not because John Piper said it, even though whenever he says something, there's just comfort in it, right? But it was straight out of Scripture. And basically, he paraphrased it and said this. Whatever is holy and whatever is pure here, and I'm paraphrasing what he's saying, it may be different in heaven because he's making all things new, but it will be gloriously different. It will be wonderfully different. And the way he described it, and I will use my relationship with my wife, is that whatever my relationship is with Crystal here, as wonderful that, as that is, will not be able to be compared to the relationship that I will have with her in heaven. It won't compare. It will be gloriously different. It will be a different relationship. But it will be gloriously different. I am not going to uh, come up to my wife and say, well, this really stinks, you know, that we're here in heaven, but we're not married. Like, can we get a change in zip code or something like that? It's not going to be like that. We are going to be celebrating. And, and, and that urge to keep what is, what, is, what is old and what is passing away, that is just because we are broken and sinful. We have got to keep our eyes fixed on Christ on what is going to be made new. So all these pure and holy and wonderful and good things, those are going to be made new in heaven, and they're going to be a completely different experience. My experience with my sons is going to be completely new. My experience with my parents, completely new. My experience with you all, completely new, gloriously new, wonderfully new. I often wonder why this is at the end of Scripture, at the end of Revelation, at the end of this book that's talking about all these horrible things that are going to take place that the church is going to endure. And I think that's exactly why it's there. Endure. For those who conquer, for those who persevere. Yes, it is going to get difficult. It is going to be more difficult. It is going to be very, very rough even for believers. But you have something to look forward to. I am making all things new. And when God makes things new, He makes them even better. Let me conclude by reading two passages from Psalm, from the Psalms, about just being in the presence of God. 
Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore, in the presence of God, there are pleasures and joy. In Psalm 27, 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Now, that's an Old Testament context, viewing it being just in the presence of God. And that's what we have to look forward to, to experience. Folks, I am so ready for that. I'm so ready. I mean, I've got a lot of things to look forward to this year. A lot of good hunting trips. Basketball games to watch. One of these days, there will be no more snow on the ground. I look forward to that. But if Christ comes today, I'm like, let's get it on. Let, let's, I am ready for that. Because whatever I have yet to experience is going to pale in comparison to what we have yet to experience and what is coming to us. And there's hope in that. There's a blessed hope in that, as Peter would say. So let us look forward. Let us keep our eyes on Christ. And when things are difficult, very difficult, just remember, this life is a blip. It's a breath. It's a vapor. Somebody once said that it's the longest thing that we know. It is the longest thing that we have to experience here on earth, but it's not the longest thing that we have to look forward to. And I'm looking forward to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we ask you to be with us now as we conclude our service. And Father, we um, are thankful that you have given this, these words to us that are trustworthy and true. We are thankful that you have given us a peek into eternity to encourage us, to give us hope, to help sustain us. And Father, I pray that, um, that it does all those things. And I pray that even those, the accommodations and the experiences that we're going to have are wonderful and they are true and we are grateful for that. The greatest gift is that we would be in your presence as you dwell with us. In Christ Jesus. Father, we love you. Now be with us as we continue to worship. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.